And God leads us now to the third portion of our service to Him. It's a time of fellowship where we are going to commune with Him through the Word and through the table. And it uh, comes from Psalm 68. It says, Sing to God, O kingdoms of the earth. Sing praises to the Lord. Selah. To Him who rides upon the highest heavens, which are from ancient times. Behold, He speaks forth with His voice, a mighty voice. Ascribe strength to God, his majesty is over Israel, and his strength is in the skies. O God, you are awesome from your sanctuary. The God of Israel himself gives strength and power to the people. Blessed be God. It says that God speaks with his voice, a mighty voice. We are going to hear that voice now as Pastor Vandeveld brings the word of God to us. Brother. Thank you, and good morning. I'd like to pass on greetings from Emmanuel American Reformed Church in Westminster. It's a beautiful uh, testimony to the union that we have in Jesus Christ, that though we meet in different places, we are joined in one Holy Spirit of God. I have the blessed responsibility and the joy to bring you the Word of God this morning. you've brought your Bible with you or you can use your technology to roll to it. We're looking at Luke chapter 19, but before we get there, I'd like to begin reading at the scripture of God at Luke 18, verse 18. Um, just before we get there, uh, a note about the little headings. They're very helpful. If you have a Bible, I'm reading from an ESV and the Bible has a few headings in Luke chapter 18, uh, parable of the persistent widow and then followed by the Pharisee and the tax collector, a, a parable Jesus taught about two men going up to the temple to pray. And then, let the little children come to me. The disciples were pushing away some of the children. And uh, Jesus said, let them come to me. Then the rich ruler, that's where we'll begin, just to give us some setting for uh, Zacchaeus. That's chapter 19. We'll get to Zacchaeus, the wee little man. And uh, I'm sure you know the little kid's song. A wee little man was he. So, uh, Luke 18, verse 18. And a ruler asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one's good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother. And he said, All these I have kept from my youth. When Jesus heard this, he said to him, One thing you still lack. Sell all that you have and distribute to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And come, follow me. But when he heard these things, he became very sad, for he was extremely rich. Jesus, seeing that he had become sad, said, How difficult it is for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. For it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Those who heard it said, Then who can be saved? But Jesus said, What is impossible with man is possible with God. And Peter said, See, we have left our homes and followed you. And he said to them, Truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or wife or brothers or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God who will not receive many times more in this time and in the age to come eternal life. And taking the twelve, he said to them, See, 
We're going up to Jerusalem and everything that is written about the Son of Man by the prophets will be accomplished. For he will be delivered over to the Gentiles and will be mocked and shamefully treated and spit upon. And after flogging him, they will kill him. And on the third day, he will rise. But they understood none of these things. The saying was hidden from them and they did not grasp what he said. As he drew near to Jericho, a blind man was sitting by the roadside begging. And hearing a crowd going by, he inquired what this meant. They told him, the Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. And he cried out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And those who were in front rebuked him, telling him to be silent. But he cried out all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and commanded him to be brought to him. And when he came near, he asked him, What do you want me to do for you? He said, Lord, let me recover my sight. And Jesus said to him, Recover your sight. Your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight and followed him, glorifying God and all the people. When they saw it, they gave praise to God. And here's the next ten verses Luke 19, verse 1 through 10. This is what we will focus on this morning. He entered Jericho and was passing through. And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. And he was seeking to see who Jesus was, but on account of the crowd he could not because he was small in stature. So he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they all grumbled, He has gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything... I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today's salvation has come to this house, since he also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. That is the word of God. May the Lord add his blessing to the reading of his word. Let's briefly pray. Let's bow our heads. Father in heaven, we've just read the scriptures, and we pray that by your Holy Spirit we would understand what the main point is. Will you prepare our hearts that we would receive your word and be moved by it and be transformed. So we pray for your Holy Spirit to be upon us and remove distractions from our hearts, from our minds, and give us comfort in Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Congregation loved by Jesus Christ. There's a certain Christianese that we develop after a while. You know, Christians, they have their kind of language. And maybe you get familiar with the words we use, like the lost. What do we mean when we say someone is lost? Um, Someone who hasn't gone after God. Someone who hasn't found eternal life in Jesus Christ. Those people are lost. 
those who have not found life in Jesus Christ. But I wonder if we might look at that and use the definition of lost a little too um, easily. We narrow it down and we put that word into a box and the way we use it as Christians is a little different than what we come across here in Luke 19. This is a beautiful passage and for a preacher, this is probably one of the best because the the main point is given to the pastor. If he doesn't notice it, he's been asleep all week. So here's Luke 19. The main point comes at the end. It says, Today's salvation has come to this house since he is also a son of Abraham. And then verse 10, For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. And we've just had it all illustrated for us. And now the punchline is Jesus Christ came to seek and to save the lost. So do we know who the lost are? Do you know anyone who is lost? Are you yourself lost? And even to answer that question, it might be challenging because, hey, you've got that word all figured out and and you only use it in a certain way and understand it. So we look at Zacchaeus, and we have to begin, I guess, with Jericho. So I'm going to begin this message with a word about Jericho, because that's the setting. It's no accident Luke mentions not only the blind beggar who's on the outside of the city of Jericho, but now here is Zacchaeus who's on the inside of the city of Jericho. And, and in some way, as we think about that location, you have to have mixed feelings about Jericho. It's not all good. Although, you know, in, in terms of tourism, it's always been a great city of palms or something, whatever the name Jericho means. It is a beautiful place. And many of those who had been journeying in the Old Testament on their way to do those great feast days, you know, three times a year, all the men would leave their hometowns, wherever they were from in Israel, they would travel down the King's Highway. That was the easiest way. It's kind of like, uh, if I were to compare it, traveling in the Jordan Valley, the King's Highway, is like going from uh, Colorado Springs or to Fort Collins. You're, you're staying in the plains. You're, you're in the rather easygoing country. But you know that you're going to have to turn when you get to the city of Jericho and you head up into the mountains. The hill country, it's called. And Jericho is a main city on the corridor, and it's a gateway city to the heart of Israel. And if you have the background of the Old Testament in mind, you, you have this uneasy feeling when you remember Jericho was the holdout. It was the fortress city that was preventing God's people from taking over the promised land. It was the walled city that was impossible to capture. And uh, you probably remember that God took that city quite easily. It was like seven days of each day going around the city um, with the ark of God, with trumpets blasting for seven days straight. And the walls of Jericho came tumbling down. That Jericho. The Jericho that was refusing to surrender. And yet, you have this glimmer of hope. If you think back to that story of Jericho, you had that hope that there was a wicked person in that city. Someone who was living in sin. An evil person. Rahab the prostitute. And you know, she came out alive. 
You remember the part where she had not only um, hidden the spies and helped them get away, but she held on to the promise that when Israel was coming and circling the city, all she would have to do is hang out a red scarlet rope, right? A scarlet red kind of a rope hanging out of her window, out of that city wall. And she would be saved with all those who were hers, all that belonged to her. In that background of Jericho, we enter the story of Zacchaeus. A beautiful city, but maybe still a holdout against Jesus Christ. And I have to have a little more background here as we enter our text um, about Zacchaeus, that you also have to see how Jesus has been preparing us for this encounter with Zacchaeus in the heart of Jericho. Because up to this point, we've had a hard time getting this chapter right. we've, We've had a hard time getting the kingdom of God correct. Up to this point in Luke 18, so the previous chapter, we've been wrong so often. Let me give you a few examples. We've been wrong about who belongs to the Lord Jesus Christ, who is in the kingdom. And Jesus Christ has in chapter 18, he said that he is going to be suffering in Jerusalem. He's going up to the hill country. And he says, see That's verse 31. We are going up to Jerusalem and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the Gentiles and after flogging him, they will kill him. On the third day, he will rise. And he is on his way to Jerusalem through that stronghold city. But do you know at this point who belongs with Jesus? Who is in his kingdom? Who is on his page? So Jesus is getting us to ask the question, why am I traveling this highway? Where am I going? What have I come to do? And uh, one encounter after the other. It's um, the Pharisee and the tax collector. That's how you have a parable. And if we didn't have all of the connotations of Pharisees like we do nowadays, everybody says, hey, you shouldn't be a Pharisee. If you had been reading this passage, living in that time, and you heard Jesus say this parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector, you would have instantly sided with the Pharisee and against the tax collector because that is how you understand the kingdom of God. The Pharisee is a godly man. He does everything in the law. He's trying so hard. He's very religious. And the tax collector is just an evil sinner, steal, uh, a thief who steals all the time. So you would have been wrong when Jesus said, You know who enters the kingdom of God? Who is righteous? It is the tax collector. He humbled himself before God. And then you get the next little paragraph in another encounter, and you probably would have been wrong again. Like We we so naturally think, um, when you get adults and children, you're like, adults, they're the serious ones. They're they're using their head. They, They would be such a blessing to the kingdom of God. They are thoughtful. They're wise, and children are foolish, and and I'm not sure if that's a good idea to have children around Jesus when he's teaching. And uh, Jesus says, let the little children come to me, for to such belong the kingdom of God. And now you have a second encounter. 
and it's reversing everything you've thought. The third, again, you're going to be really hopeful because here's the rich young ruler, the synagogue ruler. He's coming up to Jesus and everything is going in his favor. You're going to be voting for this guy. He is, um, he's going to be perfect for the kingdom of God. He's serious about how to inherit eternal life. And he's running to Jesus. So there's some passion in that. Um, he, he, he's all about the law. He loves to do what God has said. And, and he's rich. Like, to top it all off, he's rich. Obviously, blessed by God. Turns out I was wrong. This guy's not for the kingdom of God. Turns out it would be easier to get a camel through the eye of a needle than for that rich young ruler to enter the kingdom of God. And then, okay, so another little encounter after the rich young ruler, you have a blind man calling out. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And I thought, you know, initially, he's blind. What, can he, what use can he be for the kingdom of God? And it turned out he had vision that no one else had in the crowds. He could see that this was the king the son of David, a title like that, you know, bringing all the, the, the uh, important history that Jesus Christ would be the son of David, a king who rules, who would have mercy on God's people. So why are we always so wrong about who belongs in the kingdom of God? And who the kingdom of God belongs to? That's in the background here. And now Luke 19 is finally coming to the city of Jericho and in that gateway city, Jesus enters. The city that has been known for judgment and confrontation to be a holdout. And Jesus Christ is going to bring some walls down. The hearts of people have walls and he's going to bring them down. So we need to pay attention. In fact, I have to say this, another word about attention here, because Jesus Christ is paying attention to things we might not have noticed. Do you notice what Christ Jesus notices as he enters Jericho? Because would you know the kind of person that the kingdom of God belongs to? Is it obvious? No. As our Lord Jesus Christ enters Jericho, he has a question for you. Do you know the people whom I came to seek and to save? Do you know a lost person? That's when the Lord Jesus stops. And the whole crowd stops. The Lord Jesus looks where no one else is looking. He looks up into the tree. And he speaks to someone in the tree. How did Jesus see Zacchaeus in the first place? Was there a red cord hanging down? I doubt it. But this is Jesus Christ. He's seeking those who are like Zacchaeus in the tree. You might think, oh, that's easy. He's the Son of God, and it's true that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, and that there are times in the Scriptures you know clearly He can see and know things that normal humans don't. But the point here is that Jesus seeks and saves the lost. 
And we should be attuned to that. We should be perceptive as the Lord Jesus Christ is. He's paying, the Lord Jesus has, if, if you read the Gospels a few times, you'll notice how frequently the Lord Jesus Christ has noticed those on the fringes. And in that sense, you understand what lost means. Those who are not really belonging to the people of God, they've kind of been pushed out. Those not really belonging to the disciples, they're kind of pushed out. And so our Lord Jesus Christ has frequently noticed those who are on the fringes, Right? Um, you know, the disciples would like to have their little children moved out of the way. Let's get them off to the edge. And the Lord Jesus says, what are you doing? Bring them back. The kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. You might remember the story of a, a, a woman who was afflicted with an ailment. She, she was not well, and she snuck in the crowd, touched the hem of Jesus' garment, and left. And Jesus Called attention to her. There's more in the scriptures. You see those who are on the fringes that Jesus Christ calls attention to. That's what verse 10, our text is saying. He came to seek and to save the lost. But as we think about this man Zacchaeus, we have to think about him as a certain kind of lost child. One who has been of the people of God for some time who has built some walls around his own heart, who's been living in sin. He's a thief, a traitor, very disloyal. So the punchline of the story, the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. The tax collectors and the prostitutes are entering the kingdom of God ahead of you. Jesus has just said that to the religious leaders. And uh, is getting us to ask, do I have the same desire to seek and save the lost? Do I have an eye for them? Do I notice them? Or do I avoid them? Now, a few words about Zacchaeus, because at this point, he's up in the tree. And we have to know a little bit about this man. So a word about Zacchaeus. Because that should help us shape our idea of who lost people are. Lost people, unfortunately to us, might sound like people who have never been to church before. But as we look at Zacchaeus, this guy has a great name. He's called Zacchaeus. And uh, maybe the Aramaic or the Hebrew background for it would help. It means righteous or pure. It kind of reflects that he must have grown up in a godly household, God-fearing family, parents, like moms and dads said, you know, we need a name pure, righteous for our son. Let's name him Zacchaeus. And then time has passed and it turns out Zacchaeus is not being Zacchaeus. He's far from pure. He's far from righteous. Turns out he's a tax collector. He does that for a living. That means he works for the Roman government. He works for the enemy who demands taxes from the people. And he, as an Israelite, visits the Israelites working for the Romans, taking taxes from you to pay the Romans. And the Romans work this out that, hey, it's less likely that you'll kill one of your own people, so we'll hire guys like Zacchaeus. 
He will collect your taxes. We'll incentivize him and say, hey, you can just take another 5% or something to cover your cost. But you collect the taxes, you give us this amount. What makes tax collectors so wicked and evil is that they just jacked up the rate and they made money, big time. Zacchaeus was rich, we hear in our text. And he's stealing from his own people to pay the Romans. He has no loyalty for his own people. And it turns out Zacchaeus is good at what he does. He's very gifted at stealing. I mean, he's a chief of tax collectors. I'm not sure if you noticed that before, but there's quite a a network of tax collectors. uh, But you have some who are higher in authority. Maybe he has been really good at doing the dirty work. The background then for the name Zacchaeus is he is not Zacchaeus. He is unrighteous. Now, while we're thinking about who this lost Zacchaeus is, uh, we're going to notice what he was doing that day in Jericho. He was seeking to see who Jesus was. That's verse 3. Zacchaeus was seeking to see who Jesus was. And start with that. Just, Just keep that in mind. He was seeking to see Jesus. But we know that the punchline, the main point at the end of this event this encounter, Jesus says, I came to seek and to save the lost. But let's examine this lost person for a moment. And this is where I I go into a little bit of speculation. Um, I, I just want you to think a little bit about what could be going on in Zacchaeus's heart, that he would climb a tree, that he would seek to see who Jesus was. I got some help with this. Somebody who put five letter C's and made a word for each letter C. So five words, each beginning with the letter C. Why Zacchaeus might have been there climbing a tree seeking Jesus. Because I want this background here because we have so often narrowed the idea of what a lost person is like. May we also have our idea of what a seeker-sensitive person would be, uh, how a seeker-sensitive church might be, all that. But let's examine for a moment that Zacchaeus might just be curious. Okay, that's the first letter, C, curious. That he's heard things about the Lord Jesus. Who was this? Why are there always crowds around him? Are those miracles real? Anyway, a person could be curious. Second word, connection. Maybe Zacchaeus had a connection. Levi, one of those disciples named Matthew or Levi, he's uh, been a tax collector. Maybe there's that, uh, that feast that Matthew held. Great festivity. He's got all his tax collector friends over. Who knows? Maybe there's that connection to Zacchaeus from Levi. Another possibility is conscience. With his Jewish upbringing, there was the fact that he had a conscience trained for many years under the word of God. And maybe once in a while his conscience would nag him that uh, he's been stealing and that's not right. 
Maybe once in a while he was aware that all his money and his riches could disappear in a moment and he would stand before God completely empty, naked. And that might terrify him. So his conscience could do that. What about compassion? The Lord's compassion. Maybe he's heard of that. The fourth possible motive here is uh, unlike all the usual religious people, uh, especially the religious leaders of the day, they were so judgmental, condescending. And, and then he hears about Jesus and he has compassion. Maybe he's heard something about a woman who was caught in adultery, how Jesus said, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Maybe compassion was on his mind. Who knows what brought him up into that tree. The fifth, maybe companionship. He likely was lonely in a sense. Even if money could attract friends, he could buy friends now and then. There was a, they were a lot like those social media friends that you can have. And he was looking for companionship. And he's heard that Jesus Christ was a friend of sinners. Whatever that meant. It sounded like good news. Anyway, I don't, I don't know what was going on in this heart of a lost person. But we need to step uh, into the mind of Zacchaeus long enough to know that Jesus called this man Lord and he had all the trappings of a religious background. He probably had all the right answers. But he was lost. Zacchaeus was trapped behind walls of his own making inside a life of sin. Maybe you know, maybe this speaks about yourself, that you find yourself trapped by sin and you are lost in that way. I'm sure you also know of people who are like that, who might very well be among us as we worship this morning. Jesus has come to seek and to save you. Maybe that's why you're here this morning. You want to hear about this Lord Jesus Christ. He has come to seek and to save the lost. There's Zacchaeus in the tree. He's a lost person looking out of a tree. And he's trying to get some idea of who the Lord Jesus is. And you might be judging him for who he is. If you knew him, you might expect him first to get his life in order And then he could come and follow Jesus. You might think, Jesus doesn't want to see people like you. He has no time for you. He should not have time for you. And the message this morning is, is, it's awesome news for the Lord Jesus seeks this person out. And the Lord Jesus seeks you out before you get your act together. And the Lord Jesus already knows your name before you get your act together and you start to live a righteous life. Even while you're still sinners, Christ died for you. Remember that in Romans 5? And so the Lord Jesus, He has stopped the crowd. He's been under that tree. He looks up and He speaks the name of Zacchaeus. He knows the name of a lost person. Zacchaeus, he says in verse 5, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. This is the way the Lord Jesus seeks and saves the lost. He knows them first. He knows they are sinners. 
more than we do even. And he makes sure he gets close to them, that he meets with them, that he has time for them. And this is remarkable in the Gospels, how much time Jesus Christ has for those who are not in the crowd, those who are in the fringes, right? You think of those four guys who lower their paralyzed friend through the roof. They bring him down in front of Jesus. Jesus has time for that kind of person and those four friends. And when a blind man is shouting out, like we had just before he got to Jericho, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And everybody wants to quiet him down. And Jesus says, put a microphone in front of him. Let's hear what he has to say. What are you looking for? I would like to receive my sight again. Jesus has time for that person. It happens again and again. And so here is a lost man with hardly any sign of repentance. The Son of Man came to seek and to save you. Maybe you'd be hesitant to, to say, yeah, that's what Jesus came to do. Maybe you're hesitant about this way that Jesus Christ approaches a sinner. And so verse 7 makes sense, how the crowd's reacting. He has gone to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. Jesus, if you're really a good person, a righteous person, like, uh, like uh, the Son of Man, as you say, then how come you hang around with a sinner and have a meal with them? I guess we're much like that crowd that day. We treat sinners as if they're the plague. We're much more likely to avoid them. Don't you sometimes hope that the lost would find their way just by the silent treatment? That's not right. Here's the Lord Jesus, and he's seeking out the one who is lost, and he meets with them. Maybe we agree that Jesus Christ says he's a lost sinner. Yes, but look at this Lord Jesus. He doesn't even avoid him. He doesn't pass him by. The Son of Man seeks this one out and pursues him. And and the message the Lord Jesus Here's Luke writing this down. The message Luke has been putting together for us to see is that one encounter with the Lord Jesus after another and that burning question, who is with the king? Who is in his kingdom? And I thought this sinner would definitely be out. That's why the crowd's comment makes absolute sense. He eats with tax collectors and sinners. And the walls of Zacchaeus' heart We can't see them. We don't know the fracture lines, the tremors going through the the heart of Zacchaeus. We can't see it, but this is a lost one. We can't see a scarlet cord hanging out the window. But maybe we're not looking for it the way the Lord Jesus was. Here was a man humbling himself, a wee little man who often has been humbled by his own stature. He climbs a tree, and that's all we know. He said he's humble enough to climb a tree. A rich man climbing a tree. Why not rent a man lift? So here is what Jesus sees. 
a lost man up there. So brothers and sisters, how many people around you within church or at home, people you meet at work are just barely humbling themselves. They don't even know how to humble themselves. Are your eyes open for the lost? Do you have compassion on them? Do you seek them out? Look at Zacchaeus. What little he knows about the Lord Jesus already makes him excited. What little he knows about the Lord Jesus has him coming down that tree. He's probably got a few slivers on the way. What's that say in verse 6? He hurried and came down and received him joyfully. Joy. He has met the Lord Jesus. He gets to meet with him more. And what little we know about Zacchaeus and his encounter with the Lord Jesus, we know that it's only the beginning. This lost fellow, what's he up against? The Lord Jesus will surely remind Zacchaeus of what God wants, what God has said in his word. The walls of this sinner's heart are being broken down as he comes before the Lord, before God's love in Jesus Christ, before God's word. And uh, this man, after he's come down, he is absolutely changed. Look at verse 8. See if you recognize this Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus, the unrighteous, is now Zacchaeus, who is righteous. You have this rich tax collector. You have the traitor, the thief, and he's now announcing something to his Lord. And he's calling him Lord. Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor, and if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. Four times back. So if he stole stole 100 bucks from you, you get $400 back from him. And I want you to think about that generosity, the overwhelming generosity, the half of his goods he's given away. He's paying back four times the amount. And you hear that in the background. You remember, oh, what was just going on in Luke chapter 18 about that rich young ruler, the one you were so hopeful for at first, right? That rich young ruler who is all godly, asking the right questions. Jesus said, that's impossible for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. You ever tried to get a camel through the eye of a needle? And the crowd said, and the disciples said, it's impossible. Who then can be saved? And I hope you have that in the background because you now encounter Zacchaeus and he's opened his wallet. He is giving generously. I will give it up for you, my Lord. I will find those I've hurt and cheated and I will try to reconcile with them, Zacchaeus says. Zacchaeus will never be the same. The Spirit of God is upon him. I hope you notice the joy in Zacchaeus' life. This is not a drudgery for him. He is now serving the Lord Jesus Christ who has sought him out to save him. And here is a man who was lost. 
and who has so much hope. Maybe you think the kingdom of heaven is only for the religious types who have their lives in order. Then read Zacchaeus. Read, notice what he's saying here. You might be discouraged by the way people judge you and condemn you, but notice, as Zacchaeus does, the Lord Jesus Christ having compassion on him. The Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. The Son of Man came to seek and to save you. So congregation, I hope you get a a glimpse this morning of the Lord Jesus Christ that day in Jericho. Those who exalt themselves like the ones you typically expect, like the religious leaders, those who exalt themselves, the Lord Jesus would humble. And then there's this man who's humbled and only barely humbled. And the Lord Jesus Christ exalts him. And the Lord Jesus has a meal with him. As I close off the sermon, I'd like you to think about our celebration of the Lord's Supper. Isn't that a picture of the Lord Jesus Christ eating at table with us? He has come to seek and to save the lost. And the Lord Jesus says, join me. We're eating together. Amen. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we pray that you would bless us through your word that we've just read, that we have just heard as well. Comfort us through the powerful work that you have done by your Holy Spirit, that you seek and save the lost. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We turn to the celebration of our Lord's Supper. I'd like to remind us of the words of 1 Corinthians 11. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed, he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Whoever whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment upon himself. So, brothers and sisters, let's discern the body that Jesus Christ has come to give his life to save the lost.